0: Hi everyone, thanks for listening to the Not The Top 20 podcast once again. It's an exciting week this week as we look ahead to the playoffs across the EFL and we really wanted to bring you some uh, some good content, some proper analysis so we pulled some strings for our playoff preview content. This is the Championship Playoff Preview Podcast and George, if you'll introduce our first special guest please.
1: Yeah, our first guest is a guy who knows the Championship uh, pretty well um dave edwards from reading obviously formerly of uh, of wolves uh, amongst others so we're going to speak to dave he's obviously played against all four clubs in it we're going to talk to him about the drama on the last day of the season as well and Reading's survival so yeah here he is Mr. dave edwards
0: dave we're very very grateful for you to joining us thank you very much for for taking some time out from what is now an extended holiday and a, and a well-earned holiday i think it's fair to say um, and uh, and and chatting us through some playoffs. But first, we want to talk about Reading and and the final day, really, because of course, you know, we, we banged on about there being five teams who were still up for the last two relegation spots, and Reading were very much one of them. The bookies had, you know, had it about a fifty to one chance. Obviously, things would have had to go very wrong um, for for the worst case scenario to come to pass. But as it was. You did the business yourselves against Cardiff um, in a nil-nil draw, which saw them be promoted as well. Can, can you run us through what what that game was like on Sunday? Presumably a bit of an odd scenario, and um, you know Cardiff. Uh, I watched the game; plenty of long throws, plenty of set pieces, and you, you, you stood up to the test. So, what was the game like from a player's point of view? Yeah, it
2: definitely was a, a strange game because going into it, like you said, we knew that. Um, the chances of us getting relegated was slim or the odds were um, were really in our favour but football such a strange game and, and you can't really leave anything to chance so we were adamant that we needed to get the result ourselves and come the day of the game it, it was a perfect game for us because it really had a big game feel honestly um, Cardiff was buzzing all um, day was it, it really felt more like a cup final with a, a full ice the bright sunshine as well um, so it was a real good atmosphere and I say we, we had enough on the game for us to, to be up for it anyway but with the position there and as well it, it made it extra special and in the end we went there and in the last few weeks we conceded goals quite easily. Um, I think the manager went a little bit more resilient in his team selection, put a little bit more experience in the team as well um, and when we defended really well we, we stood up to the test. Unfortunately offensively we, we weren't great um, but we, we knew we needed to get a, a point and um, we just felt the longer the game went on the, the more the space had opened up for us but obviously as it got later and later you realise the results were going our way and we really did need to push
1: the issue You mentioned the manager obviously uh, the decision was made a couple of months ago to change the man at the helm and that was followed by two absolutely massive home wins against QPR uh, and against Preston I mean how's the camp been under the new gaffer obviously a difficult time for him to come in and, and job done in terms of of maintaining championship status Yeah it was
2: was difficult for him because the way we were playing I think we had won 1-19 in 19, uh, when he took over and looking back let's say the cupid on the pressing games were, were huge for us and obviously they were the points which, which kept us in the league in the end but he inherited a team which um, was in a real bad run of form confidence was very low and he also had the difficult task of, of trying to stop us conceding goals and obviously the team was built around playing open expansive football and um, Players had been recruited over the past couple of years to go and do that, and the new manager wanted to come in and, and really shut up shop a little bit and stop us conceding. So it, it was a difficult task for him. But in the eight games he had, um, we didn't really have enough time on the training pitch to to work offensively because that, that's the point now that you look at us, we need to improve on. But he definitely made us a lot more solid. Um, you look in, in those eight games, I think we had three or four clean sheets, which is. Which is really good considering the run we were on when he took over. Um, obviously we had some, some bad days as well against Ipswich and, and Sheffield Wednesday but I think that just just showed everyone how big the task is and how far off it we, we have been and it's going to be a, a huge summer of recruitment for the club but then also the lads are, are still going to be there next year. It's, um, we want to sort of draw a line under
0: this season. It's been so disappointing and then give it a real good go next year. Dave, one of the interesting quotes from the weekend, it came from League One actually, but it was Keith Hill, Rochdale manager, they had an amazing survival story. Um, but he himself said afterwards, Well, I'm not really wired to celebrate survival, to celebrate, you know, beating relegation in a sense. Um, but George and I spoke last week, our personal view is that. You know, at the time, it's, it's completely fair enough to, to celebrate something like that because it's, it's a huge thing and it shows some, you know, it's, it's a success in a sense. But, you know, you've touched on there that the second half of the season has been poor in terms of results for Reading. So I suppose it differs club to club. What was the general feeling at full time and after the game after the game at, uh, at Cardiff in the Reading dressing room? Yeah, well, I think obviously
2: I think Rochdale. When you when you look at their situation, um, I think how far off it they were a few months ago. Then it, I think it is a success for them and it's a fairy tale that obviously Joe Thompson got the gold as well. Um, but in terms of us, it was really just a sense of relief. There was there was no celebration at all. Um, I think that was also because of Cardiff and obviously the pitch invasion from them and um, how euphoric they all were, but. Yeah, well, We didn't feel any sense of pride in avoiding relegation. It was very much, well, at least we've, we've got the job done. Um, it's a season to forget. Let's just draw a line under it and, and start again. And Not so much for me, but for a lot of the lads who were there the season before, that they really need this break now. Um, they need this rest because off the back of the playoff final last year, I think they only had two weeks off and it's a long old season, so they could do with really getting away from the game mentally um, for a month or so and then Say make sure everyone's ready for next year but yeah there was, there was no celebrations in our dressing room it was right let's get a shower get on the bus and get
1: out of here as quick as possible and, and then the season there obviously draw a line under it and, and go again next season um hey. to talk about the playoffs obviously you know you played against the teams who are going to be in there you have a better idea than anyone about their strengths and weaknesses Fulham uh, Aston Villa Middlesbrough and Derby um I mean, let, let's start with with the Fulham-Derby game. A lot made of Fulham's style of play, of course, and then Derby, who looked like they were going to drop out of the playoff places, turning it around uh, and being really, really impressive for the last couple of weeks of the season. Yeah. How, how do you see it going?
2: Well, I think if you'd have asked me a month ago, I would have obviously said Fulham will, will wipe the floor of them, but it's it's difficult for Fulham now with, a, say, a, a poor performance and losing their run there on the the last day of the season. They'll be bitterly disappointed and they've got a a short time to try and turn it around and they've got to try and shake that off, whereas on the flip side, Derby, who looked dead and buried a month ago, they've really picked up some form and um, it'll be a lot tighter than, than what I think. If you just purely went down on football and ability and the most effective football, I'd say Fulham would be the best team, but it's all about who manages that pressure on the day and both teams, unfortunately, have had history in recent years of, of not being able to handle it, so it'll be, be an interesting game and I think for from
0: a footballing perspective, I think Fulham would be the one to edge it, but say the playoffs—you never know. Dave, obviously, you weren't at Reading last season, but they overcame Fulham in the playoffs, and it was similar sort of conversations happening before that semi-final. Fulham were on great form and playing the same sort of brand of football, but I was there at Craven Cottage for the first leg, and it was so noticeable that that Yapstam and Reading set up to basically deny the ball. Uh, to Kearney and Johansson they didn't have the time on the ball that they have generally in in your average league games during the regular season do you think there's a a sense from within a club heading into a game like this that when you've got a week to prepare um, you know without the the stresses and strains of the regular season or the traveling you can do a slightly better job against this Fulham side and and, and what would you say is that it is it is it stopping the supply to Kearney and Johansson or are they just so much better this year?
2: I think they are better this year and I was speaking to a few of the boys, I was speaking to George Evans actually about it last week and he was saying his job in the playoff game was just to literally follow Kearney around the pitch and I think it was very worked obviously really well for Redden and they really um put a hole on their style of play and we played up at Craven Cottage not long ago and I always find, especially there, if you can stop them playing out first and foremost and then you can be on top of their midfielders. It makes it a lot more difficult because they're so expansive. If you do win the ball back in that part of the pitch, they're open and you can get goals against them. Um, and I think in the big games, even more so, it takes such a top, top player to be able to go and handle that pressure and and get on the ball as, as deep as what they do in a usual championship game. So players like Kearney, I think Kevin McDonald, I think he's the, he's the main one. He makes them tick. Um, if you can stop them through play, and then all of a sudden, I think they'll be right in the game, and that, that's
1: got to be David's game plan. You, you mentioned a couple of good players um, at Fulham. There's one... I've been desperate to ask this question to a professional footballer in the Championship, and, and you're going to get it. Middlesbrough, Adama Traore, I mean, how do you deal with him? When you're facing up against a guy with that kind of pace and that ex- explosive ability, what do you do to try and nullify that threat?
2: Oh, it's, it's hard. We, um, I think... From all the teams I played this year, the the standout performance has been Traore when we played up at the Riverside. Um, We lost, I think it was 2 1 on the day, but he scored 2 and he was just electric. And I remember we had, we played Leandro Bacuna, a left back who's really quick. Um, Before that might kind of stop him a little bit, but he's got the power as well. And what I think he's got now, what he didn't have a couple of years ago, was I think his ability on the ball is getting better and better. So all of a sudden now he, he doesn't need to just be running into space. He can actually take it past people with the ball. Um, and yeah, he, he's hard to stop. I think you just got to try and stop the supply out to him as, as best possible because once he gets going, he, he really is um, someone who's going to make things happen all the time. And as I said, his end product's really improved from what I've seen as well. So if Mills can get him firing on all cylinders um, from the playoff games, then they will be a hard team to stop as well.
0: I'm reading between the lines, Dave, it sounds like you're saying you just take a yellow. Um, <laughs>
2: yeah, <laughs> yeah. You try to get up That's always dangerous to men now early, early on in the game. They have to rotate the left backs. Just keep moving different people like that.
1: Um, yeah.
2: But no, he, he really is. He's top drawing. Pace and football is one thing I always say to to people. I wish I had that sort of blistering pace. Cause I think it can just it can make such a difference in a game and. You're as high as the Premier League, and what Jamie Vardy does, and people like that. It's, it really is a game changer. And when you've got an outlet like that, it means you can play a, a more defensive style of play, which may suit Tony Pulis' teams. And when you win the ball, then you just counter quickly, and
0: it's so so effective. So, if Borough's current setup and and generally since Pulis has arrived has been geared towards getting the best out of Triore, the standout performer for you in this championship. In an, in an individual game this season you know with that midfield three of Bessic Hausen or Clayton or Ledbetter I suppose it, it, it is hard working it's experience and it's and it's more ball carrying I suppose and ball winning than than creativeness uh, and if and if their style is geared towards getting the best out of Traoré is is there a sense and I know that you played them recently and actually picked up a pretty early red card but is there a sense that um, is, with Aston Villa with the, the return to form of Grealish in the second half of the season that if is the key man for Middlesbrough is it all about getting the ball to Grealish for Villa or have they got some other threats as well
2: I think player for player I think Villa have got more uh, more options attacking wise that, that can make a difference um, but I do think Middlesbrough got that really good blend in midfield as you said but they are good they could pass of the ball as well um, especially, like we say, housing gets up and down. there's always winning the ball back to the team. But he's also a really good passer. Um, but you look at Villa, and they've just got, I think, a lot of their front players are, are brilliant. You look at Snodgrass on the one side and Grealish on the other. And they seem to have found a formula in recent weeks which has allowed them to get the best out of themselves. And obviously the form of grabbing as well um, at the end of the season has been big for them. But I would say... Um, that Middlesbrough, in particular, I think they rely on what Traore does a lot more than what Villa do with Grealish. As good as Grealish is, they're very different
1: players. But I think Villa have got a little bit more depth in their quality. And if you look at the two managers of the teams, you know Steve Bruce and Tony Pulis have been around the block. Um, and I think Pulis has surprised quite a few people with you know the, the style of play that they've, they've they've adopted, which hasn't necessarily been the Pulis ball we've seen in the in the Premier League. When you come against teams with managers who are that well experienced, who've, who've had successes both in the Championship and the Premier League in the past, is it obvious that they're, they're kind of very, very well drilled? Yeah, I think, um, with
2: Peter, so there's definitely been a change. Um, so when, when we went, they're always going to be a bit of a well-drilled or set piece and things like that. And we played them up at the Riverside. Um, there was definitely a lot more passing, a lot more patience on the ball. Um, again, trying to work opportunities to get out to Traore, um, but I think he's been allowed to do that because it's it's not as um, unforgiven as the Premier League. Um, if he is gonna play more football in the Premier League and you do lose the ball, quite often you'll be picking out of the back, back of your net in ten, fifteen seconds later, which obviously the championship as good as it is, it hasn't got that, that quality so it's allowed him to play a little bit more football, but he's obviously still so well drilled on, on the other aspects of the game and you look at the championship, how many goals and games are set up by set pieces and He's clever in the way he lines up and and makes
0: the most of it all. Well, with with Snodgrass on set pieces for for Villa, they've got the delivery. And I suppose with Terry and Chester and and perhaps Yednak anchoring as well, they've got plenty of options on that that side of things. So probably expecting those semi-finals between Villa and Borough to be on an absolute knife edge. Um, We spoke about Fulham a bit, just going back to that tie and focusing on Derby quickly before we let you go. They've obviously overcome a run of of poor form. I mean, essentially relegation form over about 10 games. They've got past it and their early season form and this this little revival has meant that they do sneak into the playoffs, I suppose, in a way. And people were writing them off. One of the things has been a bit of a change in formation in recent weeks from a sort of 4-2-3-1 to, to, to a three at the back with Forsyth tucking in and, and Olsen and Wisdom as the wing-backs, more of a... Three, four, two, one. Similar to how Wolves play, and obviously you were at Wolves at the start of the season. Do you think that that system can be can be a bit of a game changer for them in, in the playoffs? Is it is it a bit confusing maybe to change system this at this stage of the season, or, or can that be a real positive for them heading into the playoffs? I
2: think it, it'll work as a positive because I think that they're in a position where they needed to try something different. I think all Derby fans, fans and the whole city would be thinking that here we go again, this is the yearly thing which happens around this time of the season. So he changed things, not drastically, but had a slight change the system. Um, and he's got players there who are used to play in that system. When I look at Joe Ledley and Tom Lawrence, they were involved with Wales and <clears throat> they fit naturally into that. But I think with that particular system, if you've got time to work on it, which they obviously have done, um, and get it right and get it well drilled then it's it's such a hard formation to to play against you, you don't know ever as a midfielder you don't know whether it's best to to press the hold in the fielders to apply their pressure knowing though that you've got the the two number 10s behind you if you like and you do get caught in between two and then a lot of the time you do then kind of overload one side of the pitch as a defensive team just to try and get near people basically and then that allows a big switch to the opposite wing back which you see Wolves do so well with Doherty and Douglas um, so if, say if a team works on it enough uh, like say we were lucky enough with Wales to do a lot of time using that system and Chelsea last year and obviously Wolves this year then it's it's a great asset to have and say and they've got players in their team who can adapt to go back to four two three one or even four four two with the strikers they've got as well so um, it's a real asset of theirs to be able to change formations, and it looks like they found one which suits players, especially the attacker players of sort of Wyman and Lawrence
1: in their positions. Now, given it's a playoff preview pod, Dave, we can't let you go without talking about Shrewsbury. Uh, obviously, Paul Hurst has done a fantastic job there. You were there for a number of years um, in the squad as well when, when they got promoted out of the uh, out of the National League through the playoffs as well. I think. Um yep. Just tell, take us through kind of. From your opinion, the job that uh, the Hurst has done, and uh, and and what you you know what fans of Shrewsbury we can hope for going into the playoffs. Well,
2: first and foremost, the the job he's done, and everyone he's brought in as well this year has just been absolutely marvellous. From taking a, a relegation-bound team, sort of Christmas time last year, to turn them into sort of close to automatic promotion this year. It's, this tremendous achievement for the size of the club and the budget he's working with, and all the things that go alongside that. And say the, the town are, are really, really proud of, of what he's done. And I say going into the playoffs, I think a lot of people would think when you finish third, like say Fulham have done, that it, it might be difficult to, to go again when you've just missed out. But I think with Shrewsbury, they've, they've known for two or three weeks now that they're only going to finish third, they can't go higher or lower they've had plenty of time to prepare and the results have been a little bit mixed but I just feel that they've, in that time they've themselves to come into the playoffs in peak, peak condition and um, get a bit of rest for some of the players who needed it and I also think on the back of the Checker Trade Trophy final with that big game experience even though they lost that game I just think that will become so valuable now at this stage of the season and I just really hope that they can say hold oh, they know they've got Charlton who they finish finished the season strong under Lee Bowyer, um, but time have definitely got enough to, to come through that game over two legs and then hopefully they can break their Wembley curse when, when they get there.
1: Well, fingers crossed, Dave, for, for Shrewsbury in the playoffs and obviously for, for you and Reading next season. And uh, we look forward to speaking to you again very, very soon. So uh, one of the, the brilliant
0: things about our listeners is that quite often they request things from us and quite often these things are very very good ideas and so it's with great pleasure that I introduce Mike Holden, Mike was a a guest on the show towards the start of the season, a podcast that anyone with with, uh, any interest in the EFL needs to listen to and go back and listen to, it was a really really interesting conversation that we had and and we've had genuine requests to get Mike back on and we thought the playoffs would be the, the perfect time for it. Mike, um, among other things is uh, is a tipster um, who runs the Fox punter tipping service but also probably first and foremost a writer and has got some playoff preview pieces that will be must read coming out uh, on The Sportsman and we really wanted to talk to Mike about the managers involved in the playoffs because this is where we're constantly told psychology plays a huge part and the the cult of the manager uh, will be so key over these next few weeks. So Mike, Mike, first of all, thank you very much for joining us and second of all we're talking about the championship first and foremost. Some really interesting managerial matchups to start with. I mean, Tony Pulis versus Steve Bruce and then Slavisa Jokanovic versus Gary Rowett, the in terms of philosophies, in terms of, uh, of psychology as well, this is a, a pretty, pretty tasty match-up, so I think you'll agree.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think the, the, the key difference this, this year from what I can see is where the managers are in the development with their teams because ordinarily I think you'd fancy Tony Pulis in a playoff campaign with a, a, a well-drilled Tony Pulis team. I'm not sure he's quite at that stage yet with Middlesbrough. Um, so that it'll be interesting to see the difference between Bruce and Pulis How much further down the line Bruce did? I think that could be the difference in the end in that one. Um, yeah, because uh, I think I think the masculinity thing's a big a big thing in the playoffs where teams who aren't performance driven, it's what they do in both penalty boxes that matters and, and, and things like that. Uh, and Pulis is normally the type of manager for that. Um, but then you've got Jukanovic at Fulham uh, who's just got Fulham sort of over the season alright not finished too clever at the end of the season with that final result but over the second half of the season now are just playing he couldn't have asked for any more of you know the way he wants to play and you know they're just like such a well-oiled machine so it'll be interesting because now we've got what you'd regard as a feminine team who are just really right at it and it'll be interesting to see how it pans out
1: Talking about masculinity, and I think we can agree that Tony Pulis is someone who's always kind of embodied that with his teams. But it's been interesting to hear him say um, that they are the underdogs going to the playoffs, and saying that, that Aston Villa have the best squad in the league. I mean, is this is this mind games? This classic Tony Pulis, or, or do you think he actually believes it? Uh,
2: yeah, I
3: think it's a little bit of mind games. I think he'll, you know, they'll do anything they can at this this stage. It's, you know, to come out with it straight after the game as well at Ipswich. You know, he's kind of getting it in early. He's not even waiting for the pre-match press conference. He's getting it in straight away. Um, so I think I think that probably is an element of mind to that. I think the key thing as well is, uh, the one thing I've noticed with both Bruce and Pulis is they were desperate to avoid Fulham. Uh, I think you can see that with Middlesbrough, you know, for the, their last-minute equaliser. Bruce even, maybe not directly, I can't remember, but kind of referred to the fact that, you know, when he was talking about how he approached the last few games of the season, you, you kind of got the impression that, well, rule number one is we don't want to play Fulham. So I think when you're at that stage, where the managers are at that stage, it's kind of interesting. I think, I think Bruce and Pulis will both just be happy
0: primarily to avoid that, that fixture over two legs, especially. What have you made of Gary Rowett, Mike? He's been a, a real figure of interest for us this season. Obviously, we've got a bit more of a body of work to judge him on. Um, he was slightly hamstrung in terms of his squad at, at birmingham, and you 'd say less so really at derby, and yet uh, there still are questions about his style and certainly did pretty well i think it 's fair to say to to drag them back from the brink after what looked like being another bottle job essentially in the second half of the season how have you How have you sort of viewed rowett 's season as a whole uh, as a whole, I think the first thing to say is that he 's done a very good job, I think.
3: Um, I think to get Derby into six, I'm not sure they were quite top six in the betting at the start of the season. Um, It's easy kind of after the event and the run that they went on up to Christmas to think, oh yeah, Derby, of course, should have been top six. And I don't think that was the case at the start of the season. I think they were, you know, a team that might be knocking on the door, but not a guaranteed top six. So he's achieved that and that in itself, you know, is, is a great achievement. I think, though, as the season's gone on, I think this has been by some distance, the biggest learning curve in Rowett's career so far, managing a club like Derby under the conditions that he had. I think even, he was taken aback by the reaction when, just after Christmas, they started dropping points and, and, you know, results started turning. Uh, You know, they, they started struggling a little bit. And I think he was surprised at how quickly the local media, people around the club were coming out and saying, oh, here we go again. It's the old, you know, Derby choking. And, you know, he was kind of thinking, well, well why has everyone been so negative all of a sudden? Where's this come from? And I think that's been a big learning curve for him because I think as the season's gone on, you've noticed him start to maybe behave out of character a little bit. He, he's not normally one for digging out other managers or being, you know, winding up in press conferences and stuff, but, you know, the stuff with Cardiff and Neil Warnock and, you know, there's been little bits of digs at Forest. And I think... It's, it'll be interesting to see how he reflects at the end of the season. Um, you know, on, on you know whether he was comfortable getting involved in those kind of things, or whether next season he would just let, let's just stay focused on the football. And if we have that wobble, you know, this is assuming they don't go up because they're coming into it in good form and in, in well in good mood now, where that wouldn't have been the case two or three weeks ago. But if they are in the championship again next season, it would be interesting to see how. You know what he, you know what he gets involved in and what he doesn't, and how he approaches that. If there's a wobble, how he deals with the reaction next season.
1: Very interesting indeed. I mean, let's now look at the betting and uh, in the Championship, Fulham are the favourites to win the playoffs at seven or four. Uh, best price for Betfred, Aston Villa eleven to four. Pretty much across the board, uh, five to one. Black tie part about Middlesbrough, which is a huge standout price, and Derby eleven or two with the same firm this is where I get my plug in and say make sure you go onto checker to get all your prices ahead of the playoffs. Um, Mike, what, what are you looking at there? Uh, who do you fancy the prices?
3: Uh, well, I think your starting point is Fulham. Are they the right price or not? Uh, I think a lot of people have uh, uh, kind of come into it thinking oh, you know, fancy Fulham, you know, they're the team to beat, blah, blah, blah. And then they see the price and they're like, oh, I wasn't, you know, expecting them to be so short or I would have liked a bigger price. And then you start looking at alternatives and okay, well, if I want a bigger prize, do we're looking for? Uh, but I think the first, I think the key point to make is that there's a bit of a stigma around finishing, you know, being involved in the automatic race, finishing in the highest position, and then going into the playoffs as if that's detrimental, necessarily. But when you're the best, you know, the statistics show eighty, eighty-four 84 playoff campaigns now going back in the current format to 1990. And it's. I think it's, Basically, a 17 to 10 shot that the highest placed team wins, uh, which maybe surprises a few people. But I think what it is is, I think for the most part, for 80% of playoff campaigns, it is pretty much 25% distribution. But then every one in five playoff campaigns, there'll just be a team that's too good for the others. And I think Fulham fall into that category. Now, where the difference is a little bit uh, in this case is that. With Fulham, they've got this little bit of a thing uh, that they, you know, choked at the end of last season is probably the only way to put it. I think it's harsh to say that they choked at Birmingham, though, on Sunday, because I think we all went into that weekend thinking, well, Cardiff are up. And I think Fulham were perhaps guilty of not... It wasn't so much the pressure as, as much as, you know, they were just kind of what their expectations were before the start of the day. And then once they were behind, it was, you know, they were always chasing um, but I think in the second half of the season they've been phenomenal and they've beaten nine of the top ten teams in the second half of the season they've, you know, including all of the top six um, so I think they've answered most of the questions that away win at Millwall the other week was a, a real big statement for me that no matter what the conditions no matter what the atmosphere no matter what was riding on the game they are capable now of digging out those results even when it's not going well so for me, I think they've answered most of the questions and the price they are is the price that a highest-placed team should be, you know, according to historical trends. So I've got no qualms with the price there. So for me, we'll be, uh, I will be back in Fulham. It's
1: interesting you say that. I mean, someone in black type had them 11 or 10. And uh, so I think someone in black type obviously agrees with you. 7 or 4 is around about 13 to 8 around as well. Uh, just a lot, another thing on Fulham as well, and I suppose this comes into the psychology. They went into that semi final against Reading last year, massive, massive favourites to win that semi final. Um, favourites, I think they were as well to, to, to be promoted through the playoffs. Will that experience, you know, with the same manager, with, with a large proportion of the same squad, that should help them? Or, or do you think that could be, uh, be a, uh, you know, a bad memory?
3: Uh, I, think, I think it helps them to begin with. Um... It, it, it depends on the mindset. Once adversity, if they go behind and how they deal with going behind is the only way we'll find out, I guess. Um, it's that'll be the key moment. It's, it's, it's. You know, it's, if they find themselves behind and, ch- and chasing and panicking, you know, it, it, if they don't panic, there, there's been situ- See, the problem is, is when they go behind seems to be the biggest difficulty, rather than at Millwall. They never actually went behind as close as they were to going behind for you know a few times in that first half, um, and if they can avoid that, oh here we go again, kind of attitude if they go behind that that 's going to be the key, but they 're good enough they 've kept enough clean sheets and they 've managed games so well in the second half of the season that they are capable of not going behind at any stage in the three games, so you know that uh, that, that's my
0: big reservation, is once they go behind. Yeah, how they deal with it is to do go behind. Well, Mike, you said yourself that when you're looking at the betting here for the Championship players, you've got to start with Fulham and you've got to work out what you think about them. And thank you very much for, for that expertise. Uh, anyone listening who fancies hearing Mike's thoughts for League 1 and League 2, well, check your podcast app because we've got this exact same thing for league one and league two in those podcasts so join us over there and uh, and keep your playoff preview tips coming there thank you very much mike well, we head into another championship playoff campaign with Fulham as the favourites, with Fulham as the team in the best form, with Fulham as the team with the most eye-catching style of play, and they're up against Derby. Villa and Middlesbrough seems to be a bit of a pick situation, George. After everything we've heard and all your research, where's your money going?
1: Well, I mean, I've almost been persuaded, again, having thought I'd be backing Fulham at, at pretty much any price, down to about six or four. Um, uh, I'd been slightly put off. I think some of the performances in recent weeks um, before the Birmingham game had, hadn't really been up to scratch. Um, you, you know, you're looking at specifically that Sunderland game as well, where they weren't able to impose their style of football at all on a team who, who were already relegated. But, I mean, Mike makes a good point that they are the class team. And the, the, at the prices, the interesting one for me is, is, is Middlesbrough. Um, Black type have, have gone 5-1 to one, despite the fact they're 11-4 across the board. So they've taken a stance against them. I, I think that's, that's incorrect. I think as we discussed um, about Adama Traore, he's a, he's a player who's a live wire who could, if he's on form, take them to Wembley on his own and maybe even further. Um, I think that Tony Pulis knows exactly what he's doing and he's a bit of an expert at this. And I think that price is just too big.
0: It's an interesting one with Fulham and to be honest we've been leading up to them going into the playoffs for a few weeks so we have spoken about this before and I always bang on about those games against Reading mm. in the last playoff uh, in the last playoff campaign and I mentioned it to Dave earlier the way that Reading were able to prepare and to cut off the supply to Kearney and, uh, and to Johansson and McDonald to an extent as well my worry uh, for Derby is that they don't necessarily have the right players to do that um, the, the legs in midfield are not necessarily as fresh when you're looking at Johnson and, and Huddleston and Ledley um, and, and you know ideally you don't want Lawrence and Vyman or Vidra whoever it is playing in that two behind Jerome you don't really want them to be expending all their energy um out, out of possession so I'm not sure Derby match up that well to Fulham and I think that Fulham will certainly be in the final and then it's a case of whether it's Villa under Bruce or, or Middlesbrough under Pulis um that these these masculine teams that uh, that Mike touches on whether they can sort of muscle their way past Fulham but I think it it's hard to look past them. I'm going to go with Fulham personally. So um, that, that's my pick, not just over the last six months, but over the last 18 months, two years, uh, body of work. I think that they've been um, a team that we have just loved talking about and loved watching. And it would be a shame to lose them up to the, to the Premier League. But it sounds like, uh, apart from that, that interesting price with black type for Middlesbrough, uh, that we're both expecting Fulham to certainly be in the final and then see if they can go uh, one better than, than last year. We hope that you've enjoyed listening to us analysing the Championship with Dave Edwards, with Mike Holden, Um, Thank you so much for joining us all season, really. And uh, if you haven't listened to the League One and the League Two playoff previews, make sure you get involved there because there's some really good stuff. We spoke to Daryl Clark, the Bristol Rovers manager. We spoke to Johnny Jackson, the Charlton uh, assistant manager, as they head into the playoffs. And in League Two as well, we spoke to Matt Bloomfield of Wickham, who's played against all of the playoff teams and had plenty of interesting things to say. So make sure you're subscribed to Not The Top 20 podcast. Make sure that you follow us on social media at NTT20 pod and we'd love it if you tweeted us uh, with your thoughts after these um we adore getting your feedback and it's really great to hear what you think works and what doesn't work so get in touch